welcome to Turtle Tracks Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Van Hooker, and I'm here today with Ben Bates and Dustin Weaver, the creative duo behind many of IDW's uh, Bebop and Rock City Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle stories. Um, so how are you guys doing today? Doing great. I'm Ben. Hey, this is Dustin. It's great to be talking to you guys. So, I mean, I, I know you guys both work on the stories, but uh, if I'm correct, uh, Dustin, you're primarily the writer on uh, these turtle stories, and Ben, you're primarily the artist. Am I right on that? Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Were you, you going to say something about that, Ben? Uh, only, well, no, I mean, that, that's mainly true, but, you know, you've done a lot of art, and I've been there, you know, we, we've been sculpting the story the whole time. But yeah. I think, you know, I probably have done the bulk of the art and you've done the bulk of the writing. Yeah, that's about right. You know, on that vein, I mean, what is your guys' process like? Like, how do you work together with each other? Um, uh, you know, well, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of talking. Uh, <laughs> just, just talking to each other about the, about the story, about what we want to do, uh, what our goals are. Uh, and, um, you know, from there we, we, we create like a Google document or something that we can both, um, uh, edit and, um, and it's, and it's just a process of kind of like, we don't, uh, we don't sort of lock anything in until we both agree on it. And, uh, and then, uh, it's a matter of, uh, me sitting and writing the, the script out based on everything that we've been talking about him approving it. And then we pass it on to the editor to approve. And, uh, you know, from there it, it, it switches over to being, uh, where, you know, we're developing the art and, uh, yeah. So that, does that seem about right, Ben? Yeah. I think what was, um, really helpful in the very beginning when we did the micro is we were in the same, uh, we were both living in Portland in a, at the same studio. And so it was, you know, we got to sit and speak in person to really hash out the story in the beginning. And then after that, I think it's always been like on the phone or whatever, but like, you know, in my personal experience, uh, drawing like comic books for other writers, uh, that never, you know, almost no talking ever happens between the artist and the writer. And, yeah. and you know, like, I'm not, you know, I'm not helping those people create the stories or whatever, but nonetheless, like the opportunity to have two people actually converse about the project that they're working on is uh, invaluable. Yeah. The, the collaboration uh, really depends on a lot of communication. Oh, very cool. You know, I, I, before we get much further, I wanted to ask how both of you got into comics. Um, so I guess, uh, uh, Dustin, starting with you, what brought you to comic books? Um, I got into comic books when I was around uh, like 11, 12 years old. Um, and it first started with the uh, Marvel trading cards. Uh, I, I'd, uh, I had a bunch of buddies that were suddenly had, had these cards and I uh, became interested in what was on them. And, and it was also a great way of learning about what the characters were about. And, um, and from there, it's like, I kind of, uh, I, it was also about the art cause, uh, I was very into drawing already and, uh, I was primarily a, 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 you know, a drawer as a kid. And, um, 
so the artwork on a lot of these cards, there was a lot of uh, Arthur Adams artwork, who is just really phenomenal. And uh, I was drawn to that really uh, uh, in, a, in a strong way. And uh, so I, I, it first started where I wanted to just copy these drawings, and uh, which led me to getting the comics. And I think the, the first comics that really hooked me in were like... Uh, uh, Wolverine and X-Men stuff, which, which was driven by my looking for artwork that I was really drawn to. And it turned out to be like Jim Lee and Mark Silvestri, uh, guys who are, who kind of follow in the footsteps a little bit of Arthur Adams, uh, uh, this very detailed kind of, uh, stylist, uh, stylistic, uh, look, but, uh, they, you know, from there it was right that was only a year before image, uh, comics started. And, uh, and I got very, uh, interested. Uh, I was, uh, I was right there for that. I was, uh, I was very into image. Uh, and, uh, when I, I decided, uh, I, I, that I wanted to pursue it professionally when I was about, uh, 14 years old, I was, uh, uh, I was, di I was, uh, diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is like a cancer. And, um, I went through chemotherapy, but, uh, my family, when you get cancer, you can, uh, you can go to Disneyland for free. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, one of the perks, I guess, is <laughs> you can call them up and, uh, and, uh, they're, they're cool about that. At least they were then I hope, you know, who knows what's going on. But, uh, uh, but my dad, he was the one making the arrangements, and um, the 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 person that he was speaking to on, on the phone about it, I guess he got to talking about me and my cancer or whatever, and then talking about how I was how I liked drawing comics, and um, and the the person he was speaking to had been before having that job the receptionist at Wildstorm Studio at the actually at that time it was called uh, homage studio and which is where Jim Lee worked. And they were like, well, if, if he likes, if he likes Jim Lee, and he likes comics, I might be able to get you guys a chance to go there and, and meet them and, uh, meet, go to visit the studio. And, and so on our trip to Disneyland, we took a little, uh, a, a day really, and went to the studio where, uh, not only my favorite artist Jim Lee was was working, but uh, my one of my like my second favorite artist Mark Silvestri was working there. Uh, a bunch of artists were working there. It was uh, quite an experience. It was a uh, it was really cool, and it was like this very cool place. And this was right in this uh, booming time for comics, where uh, they were they were doing very well. Uh, for themselves by, you know, uh, financially by making comics, which is crazy. But uh, yeah, I, I, you know, going there, it just really, uh, I was like, yeah, yeah, this is, this is what I want to do. This, I didn't know, I hadn't really taken it seriously as a job. Uh, like it was as a job possibility at that time until I saw that there were people doing it and met them. And uh, I was like, yes, that's what I want to do. And it was basically... Uh, driven in that direction uh, ever since. Oh, wow. If you hadn't done that at such a young age, if you hadn't had that opportunity, what do you think would have happened? Do you think you still, I mean, you still were, I mean, would you have given up on drawing entirely? 
No, no. And I, and I think I probably would have come around to the same conclusion that that's what I wanted to do, but I, I might not have uh, come to it at that point. I might not have seen it as very realistic. Yeah, that's my reality. I, uh, I didn't think it was realistic. Uh, and I didn't become a professional comic artist until like 26. Uh, I mean, not that I, I wanted to be, but I just lived in like really small towns in Texas and in Wyoming. And it was, uh, it was difficult to find a pathway, uh, to a profession, but I will say, I'll jump back to those cards were incredibly, and I didn't really think of this until, uh, until recently, how important those Marvel trading cards were. I only had a handful of comic books ever growing up and I was really interested in them, but the, you know, it'd be like two issues, uh, yeah, two issues of Avengers from like, you know, 83 and 87 or something. And, uh, I'd have no idea what was, you know, what, who, who these characters were or what the stories were. And then like getting to be able to buy those cards, which on the back would have essentially the major highlight of their, of their narrative. Yeah. Uh, allows, you know, I didn't need to read hundreds of issues of comic books to now to be able to like, just pick up, you know, issue 300 of uh, Spider-Man and have a decent understanding of like, you know, who, who his enemies were and what his major uh, beats had been over that time. And even in retrospect, like some of the cards that I thought were the coolest thing, you know, the, the stories they implied, uh, I, I read later on in life and was bitterly disappointed by how lame the stories <laughs> turned out to be. Uh, <laughs> so those cards, there's something valuable to, to that industry, I think, giving these little collectible bite-sized pieces of trivia, maybe. I don't know if trivia is the right word, really, but... Yeah, yeah. There's something accessible about them, sure. I, I, I had a lot of cards growing up, too, and it was like... And I would collect cards and things that I never... I got a lot of X-Men cards and I think I watched the cartoon, but I didn't read comics until later for them. It was just, there's something very, I don't know, accessible about them for sure. Yeah. Yeah. What did you have like those, uh, the X-Men trading cards? Cause those, there was a series that was all drawn by Jim Lee and they were awesome. They looked great. I think so because I, you know, I don't, I don't know because of what, like I, I've held on to every turtles thing I've ever had, but I, I don't know about X-Men, but I know that yeah. when I see X-Men in my head, I still see, Jim Lee and I think that that's just how I almost permanently associate them so I I think it was I just I sincerely don't know yeah yeah and that's still like like I'm actually there's a piece of X-Men art in front of me that's Jim Lee like that's still how I view those characters even so many years after he stopped doing them so like that's yeah definitely his uh his whole style really defined uh a whole generation of people's idea of those characters Oh, for sure. I mean, that also went and defeated the cartoon, too, to some degree. So, I mean, that's, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, so, so uh, how did you guys come to handle Bebop and Rocksteady? I mean, I, I know I'm sure it's a direct path, but I mean, what, what found you guys to IDW and uh, the micro series? Oh, man, it was lucky. Uh, again, uh, Dustin and I were both living in Portland, Oregon, and um, we were both members of this highly elite comic book <laughs> collective <laughs> called Periscope Studio. And uh, in there was this dude named David Hahn. And uh, I, li- I always liked David. 
and I think in passing he said something about how he he wasn't able to do like an issue of Ninja Turtles for IDW. Um, and I was like, whoa, hey, if you can't do that, you know, can I, I want to draw Ninja Turtles. And he's like, oh yeah, well this was months ago, but I'll still give you the editor's email, which turned out to be Bobby Kernow. So I wrote to Bobby, you know, and told him that, uh, you know, David Hahn was super lame and that he should try to hire me instead. <laughs> and that was how that started. That was how I got a relationship with Bobby. But then... Uh, it's important to badmouth other artists so you can get work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I, I had done, you know, the, the issues 17 through 20. And I think that Bobby had just asked, he's like, Hey, do you want to draw, um, you know, one of the micro issues? And, uh, I think this is exactly about the time when I had, you know, what started to, I want I, I never wanted to be just a comic book artist. And so I was like, right, can I pitch you a story or can, can my buddy and I pitch you a story? And initially uh, I was uh, partnered up with this other dude named Jeremy Barlow, who was another guy of the Periscope studio. Um, but then he just mysteriously he disappeared writer. one day. He was a writer. Yeah. He, uh, yeah. Yeah. He had, uh, he was not an artist. He was a writer. Um, but uh, he didn't want to do it ultimately and uh, Dustin, I think you just kind of rose to the challenge at that point, right? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, the three of us were, were buddies, and I was really looking forward to uh, sitting in on those discussions of what that story would be and uh, having some... Oh, yeah, because you had a Marvel exclusive at the time, That's contract. Right. So you were able to sort of live vicariously by participating <laughs> in the development of, of this story with Jeremy and I. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I had a Marvel exclusive as an artist, and I was working for them. And uh, you guys were going to do this Rock City, or not? It was just going to be part of the villains micro series. Yeah, and there was no talk about Rock City Bebop at, at first. Yeah, it, nobody knew what it was going to be. They were just open to pitches for a villain, and uh, and I was I was excited that you guys were going to do this. And then when Jeremy dropped out of, of doing it. He had, he got other obligations. Uh, we, you know, I was kind of disappointed and I was like, well, you know, Hey, what if, what if we do this? Uh, what if we pitch something and I'm, I'm exclusive as a, as an artist to Marvel. Uh, but you know, I, I, uh, I basically, I did go to Marvel and kind of go like, Hey, is it okay if I, you know, write this other thing? And they, they didn't really care. Uh, and the, mostly the exclusive is just so that you don't get, you don't do work for DC. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, <clears throat> so they're like, oh, as a, as a writer for this other thing? Yeah, we don't care about that. As long as you get your, as long as you meet your deadlines, we don't sure. care. Um, and so, uh, you know, uh, I guess Ben went to Bobby or, or, or you know, whatever and, uh, I, I don't know if you asked him about like, hey, is it cool if I pitch you something with 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 uh, this guy Dustin? I don't know what uh, if what he knew about that before we started pitching things, but uh, uh, that's a good question. Uh, I don't imagine. Uh, I mean, like at the time, there's there's no way he's going to say no because of your reputation, right? Like he's not going to be like, oh, Dustin Weaver, no, no, thanks. Uh, yeah, I don't know, but. I mean, it's the thing is, is uh, it, it is it is kind of difficult as an artist to get um, 
it's a little difficult uh, to get an editor to give you a chance to write something. Oh, yeah, um, man. After those image guys screwed it up for everybody. <laughs> um, yeah, let's not get let's not get into that too much. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> but yeah, so I mean, we, we initially started pitching uh, stories for the character Slash. Uh, we were interested in doing um, a story with Slash and and uh, we didn't even consider Rocksteady and Bebop. I think because no, I think at that point he did say Rocksteady and Bebop were were going to be a part of it, but uh, I remember just immediately assuming like, oh, well, they're so big, you know, in terms of character that there's they've already got that all locked down. They know everything about it. Uh, there's no way that they're gonna let us write that. Yeah, exactly. yeah. We we figured those characters were too important for to let a couple artists uh, take on, uh, and not some established writer. So we did like two different pitches for slash and uh um and then i think uh bobby was just like uh you know why don't you guys like uh why don't you try writing a pitch for rock city and bebop and we were like oh okay yeah sure yeah that's- right and then that was the revelation that they didn't have like anything figured out it was like <laughs> one it was wide open for us to just you know go however we wanted to go with the characters. There was literally, aside from them, they're like, I, I think they, at that time they had only appeared in like, uh, what was it? The Raphael micro. Yeah. Uh, and other than that, there was literally nothing that demanded we had to, or wait, no, no. And then behind the scenes though, um, they had been starting to like, because uh, I we did have to adhere to the uh, Karai had. Um, yeah, there was a, a storyline there. Uh, yeah, that, that where was... where she said beat everybody up, and whoever doesn't get beat up that, that badly is the winner. Yeah, that there was some there was some little bit of a story established there, and they they did have a scene where they were getting mutated, and uh, I think. Uh, like Rocksteady is saying, like rock and roll or something. And yeah, uh, that's right. That's right. So that, that did exist as well. So we had a little bit of like, uh, a little bit of story that we had to stick to. But other than that, we had kind of a lot of freedom to develop the characters. However, we saw fit, uh, which in was in the comics, uh, they, they kind of hold off on their origin story until the micro, like they'd already been in a handful of issues before the micro came around. Yeah, they had, exactly. had like a few appearances. Yeah, yeah, but pretty minor. Uh, yeah, yeah, we 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 had uh, there's a a lot of a lot of uh, yeah, like like Ben says, it was uh, pretty wide open for what we could how we could interpret the characters. And yeah, like uh, Bobby didn't really just was very open to whatever ideas we had. So uh, so we got to think about them for ourselves and uh, and pitch it and. Uh, um, yeah, about what their characters, who who the characters were, but even like uh, at the time, um, it wasn't clear what the philosophy. Or at least it wasn't clear to to me what the philosophy on how things mutate. Like you know, because in, in the IDW version, the Ninja Turtles are all reincarnated spirits yeah. of uh, of people, and so uh, I wasn't sure. You know, so we kicked around and pitched a couple ideas of like whether or not reincarnation had to play out in every mutation. Mm. So like one of the, you know, like how do you take 
two humans that ultimately become rock, uh, you know, warthog and rhino. And so we, yeah, there was a, there was a lot of exploration of like figuring out what, just to even get them to to the you know to be the rock standing bebop that we all know. What inspired your take? I mean, did you go back to the old cartoons? What did, what did you guys look into? Oh yeah, Definitely. absolutely. The old cartoons was the. I mean, the, the number one thing I think we started off with was, uh, I mean, at that point, their characters weren't developed, so there was the option of making them uh, quite different, you know, a very different kind of interpretation. And the first sort of major question is, like, do you make them very stupid or do you make them uh, something else? Uh, do you go in a different direction uh, with them? And uh, both Ben and I wanted it to really be rock city and bebop that we knew yeah like we wanted it to be a a an interpretation of of what was in the cartoon so our number one goal was to figure out how that would work because you have these characters that are very stupid and so why would you ever have them why would they ever be mutants why would you ever have them in this uh you know ninja clan uh, well, how does it work? Why? Uh, sure. and yeah, why would you take those two out of, out of the, every possible skilled warrior <laughs> the foot has at their command? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so this was like knowing, knowing that we wanted to stay true to their stupidity, uh, to their ineptness, um, knowing that that was like the number one thing that kind of, that kind of helped steered us, uh, to answer all of those questions, like that was the number one driving force is how to, how does this make any sense? You know? And so we, uh, we determined that they needed to be pretty, uh, pretty powerful physically sure. and have a real, like, uh, <clears throat> and that became, that's what that, that, that micro issue is, is all about. It's all about just establishing why you would ever have them. Uh, and, and in that story, of course, Karai decides that she does, that they were a huge mistake and tries to kill them. And they, <laughs> they she finds that they are like almost not killable just because of their, <laughs> their, uh, sheer strength and their stupidity. I'd really do see it as part of the, they're just sort of numb. They just can't feel anything. It's they're they're so dumb. They don't know how badly hurt they really are. Uh, I mean, but it's yeah, very that, much them. It's it's it, what I love about your guys's take is, and, and, and I, I don't, like, I'm not to hate on anything else, but I mean, uh, the in uh, recent history, the um, the 2012 cartoon reimagined Bebop and Rock City to a further extent and made them not the characters we were familiar with, and then over time, they became dumber and more resembling the classic Bebop and Rock City because I think it's just the right. I don't know. I think that's what people want from those characters is to be funny and stupid. And yeah, the, the, you guys embracing that and being like, okay, yes, they're dumb, and but like, what? Why the hell then would they bother with uh, hiring these guys? Is just that they're unbelievably strong. Is is was perfection. It's great. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I think I think that 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 the, that cartoon version is a good example of where things could have gone and where I feel like what we were kind of resisting. Um, and I think that was probably, they were probably developing their version at the same time we were developing our version. Uh, and, and it could have gone that way, but it seemed like we wanted to really make Rock City Bebop, like the actual Rock City Bebop that we knew. Yeah. 
I don't know. You have anything to say about that, Ben? What you're like? Oh, I think you, that's 100%. I mean, you know, the only thing I would add uh, is in regards to that 2012, um, how how inconsistent those characters. Just you know, like you, they weren't they weren't Bebop and Rocksteady when the two characters were initially yeah. revealed their human forms. Yeah. And so it was a crazy surprise. Like, oh, what the heck? These guys are going to be Bebop and Rocksteady, and that more and more. You know, like if you go back to that human that uh, Rocksteady is, I don't remember what his name is, but when he first appears, his whole shtick is really interesting. Yeah. That, you know, just all falls by the wayside. Anyway, that, that's the only thing I would add is that, uh, you know, those guys really blew it. <laughs> I, don't, I, mean, I, I would say, though, that uh, by the end, like I don't know if you saw the final arc with them where there was a Turtles crossover and Bebop and Rocksteady were being hired by... 80s Shredder and Krang, they got dumber and dumber, and they did the same kind of thing where you guys did, where they had this sort of like they're horrible monsters, but they had this kind of sweet friendship. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it took almost the entire series run for those characters to get that dumb and that kind of like sweet. But uh, mm. you, I never watched that right far. away because at the end, it, it, they get there, but it, it yeah, they don't feel like Bebop and Rocksteady for most of the run of that show. Well, I mean, uh, I was a uh... We did the uh, uh, Roxanne Bebop destroy everything to come out to coincide with the uh, oh yeah it, with the, the movie, movie. Uh, the movie where Roxanne Bebop were were introduced into the movies, and uh, they their version is very much like our version, uh, and uh, I, I I've wondered <laughs> I've wondered if it's just the kind of like they're similar uh, they had the same sort of idea but I but I appreciated that I was like oh they're they're like a um, they thought of it the same way we did in, in a way. You know, skipping around a little bit, that was actually a question I had for you guys later on was like, what were your thoughts on the, uh, the movie Bebop and Roxy? Cause I know for me, like, I, I, I don't, I try not to hate on anything, but like, uh, I'm not a huge fan of those movies, but in the second movie, they nail Bebop and Rocksteady and do them beautifully. Uh, right. And I, so I was curious about your guys' feelings. It's me. It was like, I, I don't know what the timing was, but it felt like it was your guys' take on the screen almost exactly. Like it was fantastic. I, I, you know, I have no idea what they're, what they were looking at. I, I wondered though. I wondered cause uh, yeah, it was, it, it really felt like uh, the same direction we were going in. I was like, Hey, did they, did we have any impact on their, <laughs> yeah, on yeah, their ideas what, uh, there? And it may be that we didn't. It may whatsoever. be that we didn't. We all came to the, the, whoever came up with that uh, followed the same path that we followed, but. Nonetheless, it, that's exactly how I felt. I was like, oh, hey, cool. This is like watching the characters I know really well yeah. uh, without me having to, without either one of us having to create them. <laughs> uh, you know, without, like it was seeing Bebop and Rocksteady doing things in ways that I uh, felt was true to what I know of them. Uh, and, it, you know, being surprised by it because I, I didn't know what was coming. One thing about that movie is uh, it seems like they really were kind of uh, looking to the cartoon to help steer their ideas a little bit more. Uh, yeah. Through, oh, throughout. yeah, absolutely. Sometimes so, to their detriment, but yes. Right. <laughs> Through, throughout that, like, I mean, they could have come to the same place on, on their own just by having that philosophy of like, sure. uh, of lifting from the cartoons. Uh, but, yeah, I, I do know that the – I remember seeing an interview where the actors – uh, were the actors that played Roxanne Bebop. I, I don't know their names, but I really liked them. Uh, yeah. I uh, I remember some interview where one of the actors was saying 
that the other one gave him a comic. And I was like, hmm, what comic could they possibly There's have? only one. There's only one. There's, there's, only there's one. no other people from Rock that's like this in the comics. There's not. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, and, I, and I wondered, and I know that uh, that the guy is a, is a comic book fan, so, uh, but, uh, but who knows? Who knows? Uh, but, but I liked it. I definitely liked it. I generally kind of liked that movie, I think. I didn't like the first one. I liked one. it for, yeah, exactly. The first one's total garbage. Uh, <laughs> but the, the spirit in the second one yeah. and the willingness to start having, you know, actually fun and embracing what Ninja Turtles right. uh, is typically known for. I mean, like, I think, it, I, I think it might actually have been the first movie. I remember showing it to Dustin. Uh, I think it was cut out, but there was like a clip online where uh, they're riding up to the, the elevators. No, they're riding the elevator up to fight Shredder at the end. It's the only good scene. And, yes. uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think it was cut short in the movie. I don't remember. But like ultimately, they, all are, they start uh, beatboxing. And yeah. like even Leonardo uh-huh. is like doing stuff. And that's what you know, I feel is more... I mean, even though that was the first movie, yeah. uh, if I remember correctly, that scene is, is cut down a little bit. Um, uh, but that spirit gets more like in the second one. If I if I remember correctly, the second one opens up with like that. Uh, they're they're like eating pizza up above the basketball game or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're watching that the to me yeah. is the Ninja Turtles. That's like this is what I want. These fun dudes who are messing around and having a good time. You know, like the it's been forever since I saw the uh, the first one, but I just remember um, how uh, you know. Uh, the tone was a little bit more serious. That's what I remember. Yeah, it felt more like the turtles. I, 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 I had like it's not a great movie, but there are certainly things in there that feel like the turtles. Whereas the first one suffered from that. Um, before we get too far, I wanted to mention that the actors playing those guys were Gary Anthony Williams was Bebop and Seamus was the wrestler was uh, Rocksteady. And I'm right. guessing it was Gary Anthony Williams who had the comic books. I think he's a comic book nerd. But I can't remember. Uh, mm. But like those, uh, the 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 spirit of the cartoon is alive and well in that movie. Again, sometimes it's to the point where it's like, I don't know if this should have made it past a certain stage of writing, but like <laughs> Bebop and Rocksteady, again, that they nailed those characters to me and made them violent and lovable and just, just like you. And they, they did great. And they took it all from us. I, <laughs> I, I sincerely think they did. I can, I can say that because I don't know. <laughs> they really do. Um, you know, before I, I want to get into uh, Bebop and Rocksteady, destroy everything. But before that, I just want to mention how much I love Bebop and Roxy Destroy Everything. Like for anybody who hasn't read this, it is, it's hilarious. It's crazy. It's literally my favorite thing IDW has done. And they've done a great bunch of stuff. But aside from that, like, and I've grown up with Turtles my whole life, but your comic gave me like a new appreciation for Bebop and Rocksteady that like is still kind of strong with me. Like I'm, I interviewed you guys previously for a, an article I did and, it's all about Bebop and Rocksteady and their kind of like beautiful friendship. But like I, all that kind of grew out of reading Bebop and Rocksteady destroy everything. And then like, man, I, I go back to the original cartoon now and love those characters way more than I did even when I was a kid from reading your comic. There's something about the, that story. It's just like, damn, I, I, it really made me love those characters all the more. So thank you. Well, thanks. That's awesome to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so tell me, how did that, come about where did where did destroy everything it was it because of the movie they wanted just a comic to cash in on that or tie into that a little bit or they wanted to have rock city and bebop you know enter into the limelight but uh 
if I remember correctly, it was uh, Bobby who wanted to have it to be about time travel, right, Dustin? Yeah, yeah. Bo- Bobby uh, came to us and he wanted to do, we've been kind of talking with him a little bit uh, about po- possibly doing more with Rockstead and Bebop. And then when the movie came along, they were like, well, we wanted to maybe do this five issue series. And his idea was to model it after the Turtles in Time series. Ah, um, uh, yes. Where, okay. where maybe, I mean, it was very wide open. It was like, maybe we would just write a one issue or because uh, the Turtles in Time series was broken up into different creative teams and each one took place at a different time period. And that was kind of the idea, like maybe just follow that as the template. And, uh, you know, it was it, he was kind of putting it us, to us because we had done the micro, uh, like what, wh- how involved we wanted to be. And we could just write one issue or we could write the whole thing and maybe get a different artist for each issue. And Ben could be one of them. Uh, maybe even I could be one of them. Who knows? Uh, but right away, uh, the, like I, I really love time travel stories. Um, and so I was very excited about the idea of doing, of doing time travel. And I had this, uh, I think right away, Ben and I were talking about it and we knew that we did not want it to be this, uh, very structured thing with a different time period in each issue. We knew that we wanted it to be more chaotic. We wanted you know, we thought like time travel and Rocksteady Bebop was just a very funny idea because with time travel, there's all these rules. Yeah. You know, you don't want to go back in time and, you know, uh, kill your parents and prevent your own birth, right? You don't want to cause this paradox, but Rocksteady Bebop would do that. They would absolutely do that even if they <laughs> weren't yeah. intending to. They would make every mistake. They would break every rule of time traveling. And we were like, well, we have to just go there. We have to go all the way like, uh, and make it get really crazy. And so from that, we knew that we wanted to, to like uh, time periods to sort of reoccur, to go back and loop back on itself uh, in, in portions where we're uh, having, you know, multiple rocks and bebops. Uh, and, uh, and so from that, we, 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 we kind of came up with our own, um, idea of having a different artist for different time periods and that the artist would come back. So they'd have like, you know, five issue, five pages in issue one, but then they come back for three pages in issue three. Um, and really like that idea. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, uh, absolutely. That story is about, their relationship it yeah. is like it's the 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 sort of we're using sort of time travel almost metaphorically for just what a relationship is like with somebody like a committed sort of relationship with somebody uh so it, yeah it makes sense that you get that that kind of appreciation from that story because uh, it's all about it i mean they tear apart the space-time continuum to reunite with one another it's 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 yeah yeah the, i mean it's it's completely about a fight yeah, that like uh, over over like the dumbest thing. They're actually like having a fight over a fight that they had had in the past, like that they, uh, you know, <laughs> and and it ultimately just comes down to them kind of realizing that oh no, we are. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to like uh, do anything without my buddy. You know, like our, our uh, every everybody else sucks, including my own self. You know, like. That's what Bebop's experience is, is he's hanging out with himself and just realizes, like, 
I'm kind of a, I'm kind of an asshole or I don't know. (laughs) And, uh, and I'd rather not just hang out with myself. I love when they first go back and meet their past selves before they're mutated. It's like, it's such a great, like the logic is so dumb. It's just such a great moment. I love it. (laughs) That reminds me, one of the things that um, I, so as a kid, I loved Bebop and Rock City, but uh, I really hated their human form. (laughs) Okay. Um, And what surprised me uh, when Dustin and I were working on the micro is how much I came to love uh, Bebop and Rocksteady as humans um, because I loved who they were as, as people. And so when we mutated them, uh, I, was, I was like, oh no, I really want to spend more time with them as humans, which was a, 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 I mean, and we've done it every single time, you know, even in the Hit the Road, we managed to bring back the humans again. Yeah. Um, because I love, it's not, as a kid, uh, you know, when they were human, they were basically meaningless. Um, you know, the only thing that made them interesting was the fact that they had become mutants. And that was one of the things that Dustin and I worked really hard on was to make sure that they were interesting, uh, at least to, to me, outside of being a mutant, you know. And then every single time so far, you know, whether we can do it a fourth time to return them somehow, somehow to get the human of them again, you know, I don't know. Yeah. But... Uh, that has been a really important factor every single time because they're interesting to me as characters, regardless of whether or not, you know, they're in their, their, uh, their mutant form. That kind of, that kind of, uh, goes back to solving the problem of Rocksteady and Bebop that we had from the, uh, at the very start, which was what do they think of being mutants? And I think the initial thought would be that, that people wouldn't really want to be mutants. And, uh, that it would be this terrible thing. Like, what are you going to like, uh, what about your romantic life? You know, what about, uh, you know, how do you, don't you want to fit in or something? But like we, we decided right away that there's no possible way that they weren't pleased with being mutants. Uh, And so that really pointed us in a direction of like how to think of them as characters. You know, I think that for them, it's just another kind of like, uh, level of like body modification. It's, it's no <laughs> yeah. different from like getting a piercing or a tattoo. It's like the ultimate, the ultimate sort of piercing or tattoo is just to become a warthog, you know? And then interestingly though, uh, you know, part of their psyche, like in uh, hit the road, when they lose that, you know, when they return back to human, um, one of my favorite little just, you know, thoughts is uh, they're working at the port and <laughs> Rocksteady has risen up to, uh, you know, the level of, you know, manager or something like that. <laughs> and if you were to talk to him, you know, like if you're just, if you're one of the coworkers and you're sitting around drinking coffee or whatever, and uh, he could tell you like, oh yeah, I used to be a, a rhino man. You know, I've, I've lived with dinosaurs, but now he's just like, you know, well, back to work, you know, and he like, <laughs> it's, it, it is one of the coolest things that they've ever done, but the moment they lose it, it it's not like they're, you know, they've lost a sense. It's like, they can kind of roll with anything. I, I'm regretting we don't have that scene in there. There's just the very casual... <laughs> there's so much funny shit i mean like i I, i'll go back and forth between hit the road and that but like you're just reminding me of that of that one scene and i think i told dustin about this previously when we spoke but like 
where they're going through the odd jobs. And I don't like oh, yes. those, but like Rocksteady as the door-to-door knife salesman, I was just crying with laughter. Like, it's just so <laughs> fucking funny. Like, it's just... The, the sequence of them going through odd jobs and failing at them is obscenely funny. So, like, it, it's so great. Uh, yeah, it relies entirely on Ben's uh, Ben's art to, like, that, that whole sequence is just uh, purely a visual... Uh, <laughs> relying on Ben's, like, comedic uh, chops as an artist, which he's which he has in spades. Um, let me ask yeah, you... Yeah, luckily. Go ahead. Yeah, dude, uh, sorry. <laughs> Yeah, the, the the artwork of his face darkening Ben's artwork is just like, oh my god, it's it's so funny, and it's anyway, the, the, both comics like it hit the road came a, uh, what, a couple years after that one, and they they complement each other really well, but they're just they're both hysterically funny. Um, let me see, I wanted to ask you guys something. Oh, um, you know, you guys did a couple things in that in that in the first one, especially where like they you established certain things about not just about Bebop and Rocksteady, but the broader universe. So, like, you established that Renee is the same Renee that we've known from the Mirage comics and in every since dimension. Uh, did you guys have to get that idea cleared or anything like that? Or it was just... Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, I mean, uh, I think... I don't. I think we just put it into our pitch. Like, you know, we, we kind of, uh, between ourselves, you know, just uh, talked through this the story, got all the ideas, and then we sent a pitch that was the entire story uh, and that just kind of a, a, yes, a, a synopsis of the whole thing. And that was just part of it. And they never said no uh, is basically all it came down to. Yeah. That's bas- that's how luckily, uh, and fortunately, that's how a lot of the, uh, of working with Roxanne and Bebop went where there was just so much freedom to inject our ideas, you know, and that's part of the cool thing about Bobby is he's very, very open, very willing to explore possibilities, I guess. I don't, yeah, I really actually am curious of what their, what their reaction was. Um, you know, I feel like there might be some, some other indications that Renee operates in that way in other, in other sources uh, within like other uh, media. I'm not sure. I don't know if like that idea has uh, has occurred outside of our story, uh, but um, we really liked that idea. We uh, um, we wanted to. Uh, I, 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 it was at it was at that point where I was. Want, I think that uh, when it when it came down to time travel, I wanted to look at how time travel worked in the Ninja Turtle comics uh, in the past, or. Uh, and so I looked back to like the Mirage uh, story that we end up referencing, and uh, that sort of inspired uh, how the how these things connected. Because uh, because I liked uh, I don't know just reading that comic and going like oh well we could kind of like spin out of this uh, in a, in a way like you utilize this and kind of uh, create a multiverse and but sort of connect them uh, through this through this time travel and ultimately uh, Rocksteady and Bebop uh, like uh, accidentally create the Mirage universe <laughs> by the end of that <laughs> wait they do I'm sorry yeah. forgive me they create the Mirage universe <laughs> uh, yeah yeah kind of they uh, oh gosh um, did I miss like, something I'm sorry <laughs> I'm gonna have to like think of like uh, it's been so long since I thought about the comic how did that work Ben do you remember uh um, 
I don't. I don't remember how it implies that that's the... I know that it does, but I can't remember. It's been so long. They, I'll have to go back. Um, <laughs> I love, it's though, not, that it's it was... It's not, like, super... Oh, what's that? You, well, you know, it's not like, it, it's, it's not like it's, it's a hammer comb. Or anything. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to double-check. I might have just missed the, uh, the subtext. I, I love that it ended up being... Uh, that Renee was the same Renee. Oh, I mean, do, when your guys' head was, is she also the same Renee that's in the cartoons of 2012 and 2003? Like, is that the same Renee to you guys? To me, yes. The, the moment that the decision was that this, that she's jumping between, uh, then yes, this is a, uh, Renee is the, uh, uh, the constant. Yeah. We, we, we also kind of established that story like her, her life is really long. Uh, so, you know, that could maybe account for different sort of iterations of her. And, you know, we, we, we have her at the end of this story as a uh, much older, um, and still, uh, still now at that point, she is the, uh, the, what the, like the Lord, the mat, the head sort of time travel person. Oh, yeah, she, yeah. She's achieved some sort of status, uh, at that point. I, I fully thought of her, uh, as kind of a, uh, it's kind of a Doctor Who kind of character. Uh, that that was kind of fun to kind of go like, oh, this is a we kind of do a Doctor Who kind of thing here. Oh sure. I think what was nice that worked well. Dustin hadn't read uh, any of the Mirage comics as a kid, or at least he didn't read the ones with Renee and and Savanti. Um, but I did, and as a kid, I really disliked Savanti. I wasn't you know too against Renee exactly. Me too. Um, but I did feel <laughs> that. Yeah, as a kid, I, I I was always you know like I'm into I can I can take a little bit of the space travel and stuff you know I think uh, but I love when the turtles are on Earth and basically dealing with uh, much more I, I don't know normal situations I guess sure. you know you can be crazy or whatever but I, I just don't care about like going to an alien planet and all that sort of stuff or in this case going into the medieval ages or whatever uh, so when when it was kicking around the idea, you know, with time travel, having to utilize Renee, my goal uh, was, you know, we got to make Renee cool for the first time. You know, as a kid, I didn't like this character. We got to figure her out. We got to, and then then that also became a demand for Savanti. When he entered the picture, I was like, all right, we got to, we got to make this guy cool for the first time, at least to me. Right. And so like the, the benefit with, uh, you know, Dustin not having this, long you know uh lifelong knowledge of them sitting around inside of him um he can come at it from a fresh angle with you know all of like like the doctor who stuff you know and like start injecting into elements and i think we succeeded uh for i mean that's why we brought savanti back for hit the road is like savanti became a massively lovable character to me uh i thought he was a total dud in every other iteration um and now to me uh, he, that guy's a blast and he has a, well, okay. So this is jumping around a little bit, but when Dustin and I were uh, cooking up the micro, um, we, you know, trying to figure out who Roxanne and Bebop were, uh, we had to figure out a few ideas of um, how they, you know, how they work with other people, you know, like how does, how do they work with Karai? How do they work with the shredder? And we came up with some ideas you know, in the future, if Shredder and Roxanne Bebop were ever actually fighting together, you know, with, with the, the Shredder commanding them, what that relationship would be like. And uh, I won't, I hesitate to go into it now because maybe someday we can actually do it. Um, and I think it'll be a surprise. 
the thing with Savanti developed it yet again another unique situation. So the way that they exist with Savanti is not the same way they exist with Karai, and it's not the same way they would exist with Shredder if we ever got to see that. Mm. Like they developed a unique relationship uh, with Savanti. He's a different sort of boss for them. Uh, that brings out a different kind of, uh, yeah, they, they relate to him differently because he's also kind of uh, silly or something. <laughs> I mean, I he actually also didn't have huge affection for Savanti, so having him beaten the shit out of several times by be bumping around. <laughs> Welcome to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, I mean, that's part of, uh, in many of the jobs I've had, um, there's a catharsis. Uh, is that the word, the word I'm looking for here? Sure. Catharsis? Sure. Uh, uh, to take out my my displeasure or aggression on uh, <laughs> yeah that that, that scene that you draw uh, where where they uh, where he comes back and he's gone through this whole like adventure with them or this whole time <laughs> and he comes to them and they have no idea who he is because he they haven't yet met him and they just beat the shit out of him it's really great <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> now uh, another thing that you guys established outside of like. Bebop and Rock City was you made Pepperoni kind of a permanent pet to Raphael, and now he's still in the IDW. He's in every issue almost. Oh, Pepperoni's the Protoceratops, uh, so yes, this sorry. would be an anchovy. <laughs> oh, wait. I'm sorry, but did but didn't but no, we we made both of them permanent. Like yeah, the, you guys I mean, did pepper. Yeah, I know about anchovy, but Pepperoni was in Bebop. I think the, I don't I don't think we can take credit for Pepperoni though because oh. um, I'm I'm almost certain that Sophie uh, had every. Um, it, it, she's uniquely responsible for pepperoni sure. sticking around. The the thing there was like, uh, uh, yeah, that was one of the things is they they wanted to get pepperoni into the into the series okay. uh, proper, and um, and 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 definitely Sophie wanted that, uh, and you know, right? We wanted Sophie on board for drawing some of the destroy everything, and uh, and we were totally. Uh, in favor of getting pepperoni into the series. Uh, so we, we just were like, yeah, we'll figure out how to do that. They're going back in time. Oh, this cool. is the chance. This is the chance to do that. So we, we worked it out. Yeah, like, cause you, it was in your book that, that pepperoni ends up in the present. So that's cool. It was a request from, from Sophie. That's awesome. Um, let's see here. Oh, so there's also this point where, and this is amazing. They're shoving everybody into these portals just to get them out of the way and <laughs> everything. And you guys have Wingnut and Screwloose, Scumbug, maybe Fishface. I mean, like, were all those characters, like, the characters to you, or are they just, like, mutants that resemble them? Because I love them oh, showed up. They're definitely the characters. It was um, every effort to squeeze in what fun, you know, because uh, I mean, ultimately, by putting Wingnut and Screwless in, we were able to let them, you know, tell a story with them in Hit the Road. So it was it was just opening the door to first of all to utilize characters that I always thought were really fun, really cool. Yeah. And uh, but also, you know, have access to them now. Like, all right, now we can we can uh, keep playing with them. Yeah, Ben has a lot more knowledge of all of these uh, characters than I do. That going back to what Ben was talking about, where I don't, I don't have as much of a history uh, with with Ninja Turtles. Uh, kind of being a little bit of an asset between the two of us, because because uh, 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 you know, like he was saying, I I I don't have as much of the baggage, uh, and um, but I can always I can always kind of go like, well, 
well, let's let's do this. And Ben can kind of go like, well, th- we can use this character. That, uh, like he has a lot more knowledge of of how to make it how to make it work. But uh, Wingnut and Screwloose was one that I did know. Uh, I don't know how or why I had a Wingnut and Screwloose comic when I was a kid. Well, uh, and so they they were one of the few characters that I knew. What was what was that comic that I had? You you know, Mutanimals. Probably Mutanimals. I yeah I don't know what uh it was really Wait, goofy. is it the original one though like so what we you know Dustin uh, is the one that suggested to use uh, dialogue straight out of the original Archie picture uh, uh, I mean the original Archie appearance of Wingnut and Screwloose oh wow has dialogue lifted straight out of it so I so think, are, I think is that, that the, the one comic, you had I think that was the comic that I had for okay, some reason yeah, I don't know why that's the original. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I had that. So I, that was one of the few things that I knew. Uh, so I was like, well, I want to do something with those characters just cause I had some, uh, some connection. Uh, but, uh, but like, I didn't know who scumbug was and Ben was like, well, we'll put scumbug in there. He knows, he knows what to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, he, I, you know, it's funny, I hadn't realized it was lifted, but I think he, I, I do remember reading the word plankton chip and being like, that's yeah. Yeah. Straight out of yeah. Rock. Yeah, we, 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 we used a lot of uh, reference that issue uh, and, and kind of repurposed some of it uh, because... Yeah, the first thing they do is throw a rock at the Ninja Turtles. And yeah. I think they bean Raphael in the head or something. And the first thing they do against Rocksteady and Bebop and hit the road is throw a rock right through the windshield. It's their, their opening attack. Yeah, I wanted we, to we mention... Sort of, go ahead. Oh, uh, n- nothing. Go, go ahead. No, no. <laughs> Before I moved on from Destroy Everything, I wanted to mention two other amazing pieces of art with it. I mean, the the final page of issue number two, where there's the big crash between um, <laughs> the current and past versions of Bebop and Rock City. Yeah. Like, there's this amazing, hilarious panel. So I wanted to praise that because it's, it's, again, one of those issues, one of those moments where I was just like crying laughing. Are you talking about when uh, uh, when they <laughs> they crash into each other and they basically like uh, yeah. they drive off into another portal, leaving the other version of them to die? Yeah, Just when, when <laughs> Human Rock said he's stuck under the truck and he yeah, or under the car, but Human Bebop is dead. It's just so uh, I was just crying. It's so funny, and it's all without. It's it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's all. That's all, Ben. Yet again, Ben uh, bringing it. And again, the uh, connected covers by uh, by Nick Pintaro because those are really cool. The covers were great. Yes, yeah. absolutely. That was uh, that that. I mean, I think that was all Bobby bringing him in and asking him to do that. I think. And yeah. Then, oh yeah. He, yeah. Uh, Bob, on uh, on destroy everything like uh, uh, you know with using different artists for different time periods. You know, we we had we had our own sort of uh, list of people that we wanted to bring in to do that, uh, but uh, Bobby was Bobby had all the connections and uh, was bringing in great great people to 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 fill that out, uh, and it was really fun because we could give uh, some some artists just had like a single page, uh, and it was fun just to kind of uh, to bring in, bring in some people for like a couple pages or something. Um, yeah, that was a fun aspect of that. I think we gave, we gave as much responsibility as we could too. Uh, you know, like, uh, I can't remember exactly his name. I think it's Damien, uh, maybe starts with a C is the last name. He's the dude that did the bulk of issue three mm-hmm. and, uh, where, where Wingnut and Scumbug and, um, 
uh, everybody shows up. And, uh, you know, it, it was because he was doing the interior, we also were like, hey, do us designs for these guys. You know, like the, the one things that, you know, that uh, uniquely uh, was I designed the seahorse and Dustin designed the anglerfish. Uh, but otherwise, you know, we tried to give as much freedom and responsibility to each artist so that, you know, like, uh, I mean, that's, that's part of what, I guess going back a little bit too about how Dustin and I were able to, you know, talk heavily about these comic books and the story and the approach is uh, to try and bring in, you know, even though we're the two creating this stuff, to try and bring in the other artists and give them as much, uh, um, what do I want to, ownership uh, as we could. Which is a, I guess, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't, you, Dustin, you, you had a little bit of experience this, with this. The idea uh, kind of manifested from um, uh, a Marvel project you had worked on. But... Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I was, uh, at that, around that time, uh, shortly before that, I was working on this big uh, Marvel event series called uh, Infinity, which uh, had a lot of, um, a lot of artists working on it, uh, doing different issues and... Uh, uh, different parts of it and uh there was a email thread where every day uh i was getting i was getting all this artwork from all these other artists I, you could see everything you know so they could have a consistency uh through these different artists and uh it was really fun and inspiring to see uh these really good artists uh, churning out artwork and you're just seeing this stuff happening and you and that communication was just so key and so when it came to this, uh, I really liked the idea of having a bunch of artists and I, uh, and I started an email thread and kept everybody seeing everything that was happening. Uh, and, and cause, cause yeah, that communication was just really important across all these different artists to like, you know, we're, we're, you know, when, uh, uh, you know, one artist is going to design a, uh, the car, you know, we're, we're putting it to them because that, that appears in their issue first. So you do that uh, and everybody gets to see it and everybody can, you know, you know, all different artists have kind of like their own spin on things or whatever. Uh, and that's cool. That's one of the fun things about comics is that you can't, there, that there is that freedom. But uh, it was good to like uh, have, have, that, have that communication. It was really fun too, just to constantly be, uh, seeing that artwork happening and, uh, uh, and across all these different artists, uh, it was cool. Uh, and also because Ben and I are both primarily artists for us, you know, we get a script and then it's just like, uh, we get to slowly churn out the comic cause the artwork takes so much longer than the writing. So it was really great to it was our first experience with uh, with writing and just seeing the comic happen without us having to do all this hard work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all the, like yeah. all these artists are just making it happen. It's like whoa, wow, this is this uh, these comic writers really. They uh, um, got it made. <laughs> this is a pretty sweet gig. You just sort of make up. Hey, this is what I want to see in a comic, and somebody else makes that comic for you. Um, <laughs> I started out drawing when I was a kid uh, and eventually I, I decided I wanted to be a writer because it just seemed like a lot less work to be perfectly honest. It was just, (laughs) yeah, I mean, uh, in in ways it is in ways it isn't, of course, Uh, obviously there's a trade-off and, and I don't want to like, uh, 
say like uh, writers are doing nothing because uh, man, it, you know, it can be rough to, to, <laughs> you know, a lot of that work's happening uh, oh, yeah. not by not physically grinding uh, on, on, you know, at your desk, but you know, you're just constantly having to think uh, about how to make these things work, uh, which can be, uh, it's own, it's own sort of hell, I guess. <laughs> you guys even used artists for like little tiny, like even less than pages. Like if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, there's that one of the final pages of destroy everything where you show all the different bebop and rock cities and the different tubes. And like one of them's like the action figure bebop and rock city and a bunch of other versions of them. That was all different artists, right? Like doing each version or was that all you Ben? I don't know. Uh, in the tubes, that would have likely been an issue five, which I believe the artist was Ryan Brown, and that was all. Oh wow! Him. Okay. If if we're talking about the same page, yeah, which I yeah. believe we are. He draws and different. That, that's all him. He he drew a bunch of different rock sitting bebops that kind of resemble the way the different artists were handling the character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was a nice touch, I thought. That was cool. Uh, yeah, although on the very last very last page of the whole series, it is kind of a a, a jam page where. Uh, where uh, Sophie did a panel and then Ben did a panel and I did the last two panels, uh, which was fun to do. But, uh, but, but yeah, th that's the only one where I, I think there's a couple pages where Ben and I both have a part on, on a page, but, uh, but yeah, I, I think the smallest con contribution. Um, hmm. I think it's Tad Galusha. Uh, Tad Galusha did a, one page. Just a single page. Yeah. Um, which was cool. Well, we, we, we know him. He was at the, at Periscope studio. Uh, and, uh, but it was Bobby who was like, how about we use Tad? And we're like, yeah, we know Tad. Cool. <laughs> like, oh, very cool. Fact, cool to... I think my entire career can be, uh, you know, or that is it, specifically because Tad Galusha connected me to Archie comics, uh, without him, you know, I'd probably be dead in the gutter somewhere. How, 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 it was his, it was his internship. He was the last week of his internship. Mm -hmm. And I was in the back room of Periscope studio talking to Jonathan case for some reason about Sonic the Hedgehog. And, uh, Tad just happened to walk in at that moment. He's like, Oh, Sonic. Yeah. I know one of the guys, uh, who works on that comic. And I was like, Whoa, what? Hold on a second. It was the student named Fernando Ruiz Ruiz Ruiz. How, uh, however you talk that weird language. Um, he, uh, is an Archie employee, but also works or teaches at uh, the Kubert school, which is where Tad had gone. And uh, they, they'd had some kind of, you know, friendship. And so he said, yeah, I'll reach out to him and, and send him your portfolio. And so bada bing, bada boom. Uh, I got a job. We're drawing uh, Sonic comics, which then, uh, you know, was my first professional job. Hmm. Oh, wow. Very cool. And you guys met at uh, Periscope. Yes. Um, let me ask you, and I don't want to keep you guys too long, but uh, what was uh, how did Hit the Road come along? Like, did that was that planned back when you did Destroy Everything? Or no, no, no. I think that what's funny, uh, Bobby probably is just trying to be like considerate, like, hey guys, uh, you know, I know you're busy doing your stuff. Uh, we want to do this Rockstar and Bebop. Do you want to do like maybe a single issue? You know, his idea was uh, again, we'll get different artists and writers for different issues, and uh, you know, uh, Dustin and I, of course. Uh, made sure that we elbowed all those guys out of the way. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, there was, I think there was some, uh, uh, for a while there, the, you know, Bobby would say like, Hey, do you like, uh, 
you guys uh, want to do something else? We're like, yeah, we'd like to do something else. And uh, then, then we'd be busy because we're working as artists and, um, um, and then why, huh? What was it about hit the road? I don't, I think it was just a finally a, a time where it sort of synced up. Uh, ben had, had moved over to working animation and uh, I don't know what the circumstance was where you suddenly thought like, oh, my my animation work has slowed I think there, down. There was like maybe between seasons you get hiatuses uh, often. In, in and animation? The, yeah, in animation. And um, when, you, uh, when, when he initially approached us about Hit the Road, um, the projected timeline was going to work out where I would have some time off. Uh, but then I hit, hit the road seemed to take a while to get, I think we missed the initial intention of when, when we were supposed to do the work. And, uh, I ended up, or maybe it was because I switched job. I went to, I went from Marvel to Cartoon Network and, and maybe that's what screwed. Either way, it got screwed up where I thought I was going to have some time. And then, uh, and then I wasn't, I was working two jobs at the same time. And it was, uh, very, very unpleasant. Uh, this, this accounts for why. I drew two issues in that, in that series, but yeah. Um, but yeah, it just, uh, it, the timing seemed like it was going to work out, uh, for us to do it finally. And, uh, um, we didn't have, uh, this, that specific story in mind, but from the very beginning of thinking about rock city and bebop, there's so many ideas that we had for stories that, uh, that, you know, uh, or elements or scenes or all kinds of things that we thought of and just thinking about them that, you know, get, get, you know, cut, you know, they get cut from the ideas. And, and so we had just this, uh, a whole bunch of ideas still, when we still have a whole bunch of ideas for those characters. Um, but at the end of destroy everything, we realized like, you know what, we could, we could, we could make a rock city bebop ongoing series like oh yeah we felt that we felt that like uh like uh we liked it that much and we we could see how it would work after that so yeah and we i remember we might have even reached out to bobby about that because it was strongly in my mind at least that the ongoing was going to be about their trip back to new york and so when hit the road offered you know it's like i think that Bobby had a different idea of, of what that miniseries would be. Cause he, yeah, that's right. He said it was more like an anthology thing where every issue would be its own, you know, own creative team and own little story and stuff. And that's what I'm saying. I, uh, it's possible that he's always trying to get rid of us um, <laughs> by, he's like, listen, I got other people who really should be working on rock City and bebop. Yeah. I think, uh, I think but, he's uh, trying to, I think he's uh, obviously being considerate of like uh, yes. <laughs> our, our commitments. And, uh, and also I think that's a very controllable format uh, to, to do with the different creative teams. Uh, and um, yeah, I think uh, we, we came back at him with uh, this pitch that uh, was a bit of a, uh, I think a surprise to him at first. Uh, yeah, um, I think so. And, uh, but, but, you know, he, he went for it and, uh, yeah. Well, you got your, uh, your, you know, your time travel movie and the sequel is the buddy road picture. I mean, it's, it's absolutely. That's, yeah. That's great. Um, and even they do something in that continuity, which they almost do in every continuity is at some point they contemplate being heroes, which I find it hilarious. And I kind of key to the character where they're like, they're not good guys, but they're not that 
bad either. So they're kind of indifferent to whether or not they're heroes and villains. They just want to have a good time, which is amazing to me. Yeah, now, they, I would say that that's true only in every other version of uh, Ninja Turtles. Uh, uh, if, uh, you know, at least to me, uh, Rocksteady and Bebop, the ones that Dustin and I have worked with, uh, they're, they're villains through and through. And like, if, if it were me personally, if I saw them, I would run away sure. as quickly as possible. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's right in that uh and one in one aspect in that they're like uh they have no kind of uh they've got no morals or like real empathy like they they have no they feel nothing when they uh hurt people so in that way they are uh in that way they're totally they're totally horrendous individuals but i think that uh you know hit the road is is all about them like trying to figure out uh where how they what they're gonna do how they fit in you know what like they're they're guys that have historically uh needed to latch on to a kind of a parental figure in a way they need a boss they're only good for being henchmen so when they're faced with being on their own they're they're faced with like how do they how do they fit into the world uh and and it's true that they it doesn't matter to them how like uh you know and think about like when they're when they're joining every gang you know and getting kicked out of every gang they have no real uh you know ideals they've got no motivation they are just they're totally free to any kind of idea they uh they will you know they'll join any kind of gang so long as it accepts them they just want to be accepted into something yeah, and so this is where they come face to face with that, where they're like, "Well, you know, what do we do now? How do we become accepted into anything?" So the the first thing they think is like, "Well, everybody likes those Ninja Turtles. Like, maybe we can do that sort of thing." <laughs> immediately, they figure out that they can't sure. do that. Yeah, uh, you know, the next step is where they where they try to go straight. They try to go just straight uh, law abiding citizens. You know, get jobs. Uh, uh, and and that doesn't work, obviously. Uh, yeah, uh, you know the the third issue is where they're back with Savanti, and you get to see how they, what that relationship is really like, which we didn't get, which we got just a taste of in Destroy Everything. But here we get to see them, you know, really uh, taking orders, and we get to see that he is kind of also uh, like a goofball, uh, and uh, you know this doesn't really work. Uh, you know, by the end of it, there's. There's the final, the final page of the series is where they're kind of like, uh, you know what, you know, we're just a gang of two, we're 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 fine on our own, and uh, and uh, it's that at that moment where Karai comes back into the picture, um, and I think that to me it was because Karai was the closest Karai and and probably Shredder are the are their fit. That's where they belong. That's uh that's their, that's their match. And, and, and again, in, in another way, this is also kind of about relationships. You know, I was thinking about like my own sort of, uh, history with, with just trying to like, uh, you know, being in relationships. And I feel like I didn't really, uh, you know, find the person I was supposed to be with until I was really kind of okay with just being alone in myself. And, uh, uh, and I was thinking a lot about that with them. Like they needed to kind of learn how to, 
uh, that, that's kind of the arc there is that, that they kind of become okay with, with not being henchmen with kind of, you know, uh, being their own selves, I guess, as a, as a, as a pair that, that one is less about their relationship together, but the relationship to the world. But it's at that point that Karai steps back into the picture and uh, that's where we, 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 we left it into the other, other creator's hands, I guess, at the end there. Did that story ever include the Ninja Turtles in any way? Because they're not in there, and I, I don't, they don't need them. I'm just curious if they were ever supposed to be in there. Uh, no, no. I mean, this, uh, uh, you know, this goes back to, like, us uh, thinking of the, uh, the kind of the ongoing Rocksteady and Bebop series that exists in our minds uh we you know we got to kind of act that out a little bit uh with this with the with the hit the road and uh you know obviously a rockstar and bebop series would include the ninja turtles uh but you know not all the time sure so they're not necessary and uh that that was kind of something we're setting out uh, I wouldn't say like it was like a thing that we're trying to prove, but it was just an element of it. In yeah, our- I think it's just because in our heads, like you said, the series, the stories are there. And um, you know, we're just writing from that place now, you know, where it's like, uh, here's, here's the cast of characters. I mean, at this point, like we never consciously set out to create sort of the whole Bebop and Roxton universe. It just sort of keeps, you know, keeps happening keeps getting expanded yeah. like uh uh there's a little teaser i guess um in uh just no yeah destroy everything i'm getting confused about our own stories uh we start out with them down in brazil and uh what's that dude's name he's got the rattlesnake boots oh right so. reggaeton they call him reggaeton <laughs> yeah uh <laughs> You know, he he was totally uh, just kind of a one-off, but Dustin and I have been kicking around the story now where uh, he, he, that guy will return and his, <laughs> uh, his, his further development is pretty fun. Oh, right. Yeah, we, you know, we started creating this whole kind of Rockstar and Bebop universe of characters that, in, you know, uh, Savanti becomes part of that, uh, you know, uh, like... One of the things with Hit the Road was uh, kind of taking the, that idea of the ongoing series and and compressing it, and we wanted to make each issue a, uh, a kind of a, a standalone issue um, of that. So you know, the first issue has where they you know with a wingnut and screw loose, uh, and then the second issue is like a different. It's a different. Um, with the second issue is where they go straight. So yeah, we brought back. Uh, Oh, oh, what's her name? Uh, who is she? The character that we... Uh, Shang. Yeah, we bring back Shang. So Shang was like from the start when we made, we, we created her in the, in the, in the uh, micro issue. We knew from back then that we would bring her back if we ever had the chance. Like she would be a reoccurring Rock City and Bebop adversary. Uh, so this was our chance. Like this would be that storyline. Uh, you know, if it were an ongoing series, maybe these things would be expanded out a little bit more into little, you know, little arcs or something. Uh, but we kind of, we, kind yeah, we would have spent more time. Yeah, we, we, we could have built that up. We could have spent time with Chang before she, you know, like as like a B plot and all that. Uh, right, right. Subplot. Um, but yeah, so we could kind of like compress our idea of the of an ongoing series into five issues uh, this way. And, and also, uh, hopefully, you know, that was the, the real 
the real thing to juggle there was how to do standalone issues and also build one giant narrative. What's that? One giant narrative. Yeah. 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 Standalone and uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I know so, I would certainly love that, that to be, uh, if not an ongoing series, I mean, I certainly would love it to be an ongoing series, but at least revisit that cast of characters. I can't remember his name right now. Forgive me. The, um, the paranormal hunter guy, Jesus. Hector. Was that? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or Razzmatazz. Razzmatazz. That's what I'm trying to think of the whole time. Like, the last five minutes, like, what was I character? I love Razzmatazz, and I want more of him, for sure. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you ever saw uh, Ben did a, uh, a kind of teaser image um, of... Oh, uh, ben drew, drew a teaser image just to put online when we did uh, Destroy Everything, I think, where it was just... Uh, like Rocksteady's uh, helmet and uh, Bebop's, Bebop's uh, glasses. sunglasses. Okay. And they were just sitting there and it was like, like, you know, you could just, they're so iconic that you just see those things and you're like, oh, I know who these guys, this is Rocksteady and Bebop. Uh, and then Ben did one for Hit the Road that included Razzmatazz's uh, <laughs> alien cowboy hat. Like, <laughs> um yeah, uh, yeah, that, that kind of brings up another thing. It's like their nicknames. Uh, like that was another thing that we had to work out from the start, like why they had these music style nicknames. And so we decided early on that they were into music. Sure. Like, the, like they, that they're very stupid about everything, but maybe they really know music. And, uh, uh, and we kind of, kind of brought that into uh, full view, I think, a little bit and in, in hit the road when they kind of demonstrate that they – know some they know some music when they hear some stuff being played on the train there's like that hobo who's listening to some oh, yeah. jazz yeah yeah yeah. and uh you get really get the sense they're like oh they know music <laughs> they know it really <laughs> like well too yeah 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 uh which is fun a fun sort of quirk to their character where they're very stupid except uh, except when it comes to music they know all the musicians on whatever you know uh whatever jazz track that was and I don't, it probably will never be in the stories, but you know, it's like, that's, that's undoubtedly what they bonded on sure. when they were young. I mean, like, I think the, uh, I, I can't remember what we allude to every now and then, but like, you know, even the rap sheet that, uh, when, uh, Ravenwood is, finds out that Bebop and Rocksteady are humans that have been turned into mutants. Uh, all the stuff that Dustin's written down in there for their, past crimes and things like that. Um, you know, from way back in the, the beginning of the micro, uh, when we were planning things out, we had ideas of, we had to, you know, at least have a pretty good sense of what their history was and where they'd come from and, you know, when they met and all that sort of stuff. And yeah. It, music would have been the, the thing that they really, uh, I mean, they're, you know, obviously they're all about violence and fighting, <laughs> and all that, but, you know, in my mind, when I think back about them, like first becoming friends, I can see them sitting together, just listening to different albums. Sure, for sure. You know, uh, one of the last questions I want to ask you guys is where the hell did Max's, Maxence and Ginaldo come from? That's oh, Ginaldo. <laughs> yeah. Those but, are Ben's so, ideas. Uh, ben, ben came <laughs> up with both those names. The When we did the micro, I think it was, so in... When working on Ninja Turtles for IDW, there's a, a couple Nickelodeon people who kind of oversee the publishing, the, the publication, I guess, of, of the Ninja Turtles titles. Okay. 
And um, I think it was them who like really tried to push us back then to figure out what their real names were. Is that, I, I, maybe, maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe yeah. they just really wanted to have a strong reason for what the nicknames were about. Mm. I, yeah. I remember, I remember something about that. I remember like there being a, a little bit of like a, some kind of question of who, what their real names were. And I can remember, I, I remember at least us kind of going like, well, I don't care about that. Like, yeah. At the time we didn't care. Rocksteady Bebop, that's it. Yeah, exactly. It, meaning that they had, oh no, no. I, I think I kind of remember how this played out. They wanted it to be that Rocksteady and Bebop uh, were their mutant names or something like that. Oh, right. Like where right, right. They, they weren't calling themselves that until they mutated. And, uh, and we were like, no, no, that doesn't make any sense. This is, you know, they, they've been these guys, you know, why would they suddenly choose that? Anyway. Um, so, yeah, we weren't concerned at all with what their original names were. And uh, until this time around, I actually, uh, at Marvel, I was working with a dude um, who, uh, his name was Gene Aldo. <laughs> and, you know, just Gene for short. And I was like, that is such a crazy name. <laughs> And when Dustin and I started kicking around the idea of like, hey, what if when they turn back to mutants, they, they drop their, their gang nickname? Or once they decide to go straight, they drop their gang nicknames. Uh, what if their real names are crazier than the nicknames that they, <laughs> they go by? <laughs> and so Ginaldo being the craziest name, and I don't remember quite when I... Um, some, somewhere along the lines, I started to get this vibe that Rocksteady uh, has a, a French heritage. And in my mind, again, you'll never see this in the comic. So uh, you just get a little little glimpse. In my mind, uh, Rocksteady, when he was younger, as a kid, um, his grandma was a big part of his household and she would have been strictly speaking French. She was she maybe, res maybe, you know, not great at speaking English. And uh, Rocksteady is named after, you know, maybe his grandfather or something like that. And then uh, Rocksteady is actually pretty good at fluent at French. So like if <laughs> <laughs> you'll never see it though. It'll never happen to come. But, uh, oh, so Maxence is a uh, French name. Oh, is it? Okay. It's already clear. Yeah. Yeah, we wanted yeah, so names there, that there were just, uh, that were kind of cumbersome or like you could understand why somebody would want a nickname. They're so wrong that they must be their actual names. Like they're just- Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like they're not cool at all which is what i like to like I, I i'm sort of the person who like wouldn't want to know cosmo kramer's first name you know what i mean right right but like when yeah, exposed exactly. i was like all right these are such terrible names that i'm <laughs> yeah <laughs> liked it so. well, yeah we don't we didn't need to know those names we, yeah. we never <laughs> but yeah uh, razzmatazz really doesn't uh, fit into their nicknaming uh, uh philosophy uh which is uh, he of course nicknames himself Razmatez, uh which was <laughs> I don't know wh why we I th I think we're just joking around about I think from early on we were joking around about having some other character Jeremy, trying to be Jeremy's with them. Jeremy's the one who Jer well no Jeremy came up with Razmatez as a joke right. uh, this <laughs> third character who hang hung around him and then we were like wait a second that's actually pretty good so uh, Razmatez has been the plan for Razmatez had been around yeah, since the micro. 
Yeah, yeah. We 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 wanted some character that really looked up to them and thought they were very cool. And, I want uh, more Rasmataz. I love that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and once we had this name that's like really long, Rasmataz. <laughs> so yeah. I was like, so uh, this is so yeah, this is so terrible for like lettering. Uh, <laughs> and I was, I remember just thinking like, oh man, this name is just going to take up this is going to take up room and like every word balloon is going to be bigger. And I was like, I want to lean into it. Uh, so I had Bebop just saying Razmataz again and again. Uh, <clears throat> he, he says it in every sentence on like a, throughout the scene where they're uh, just shouting Razmataz. Uh. <laughs> and what's wonderful, I, I, I mean, you know, being amused by your own work. And in this case, it's not just my work. So maybe there's a little bit of a, a leeway here since I get a, you know, love it uh, with Dustin. Um, they're, no, Bebop's, well, you know, by the end of issue one, you, you find out that Rocksteady was probably a little jealous of the name Razmataz, but uh, their, their enthusiasm uh, for, <laughs> for him giving this nickname, because at first, I mean, I don't know how much the reader gets this, but uh, when he nicknamed, when Hector nicknames himself Razmataz, uh, there's a panel of Bebop looking at him silently, you know? Yeah. Uh, where for just that moment, you hopefully get a wonder, like, huh, what, what, how does he feel about this? And then it reveals how much he loves it. Uh, and that's what part of thrills me, is um, how quickly they are to embrace uh, anybody who wants to participate in, like, their good, <laughs> um, I don't know, their good-natured uh, love of fun, I guess. I, I mean... If Hector spent any additional time with them, uh, no doubt it's going to turn out very badly for him. He's lucky to survive. <laughs> sure, he's lucky uh, he lived. He did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they would have accidentally killed him. That's the thing. They wouldn't have killed him. They never would have killed him on purpose. No, probably. No, no. Uh, he he just would have been a casualty by uh, proximity. <laughs> They're giant monsters. It's just going to happen. Uh, you know, the, the kind of bring, uh, it comes to the end. I, I, I did want to ask you guys, uh, I know you guys are, have future ideas for Bebop and Rocksteady, but were there any any thoughts in your head about ever returning to the Bob Steadyverse? Because that's got to be just a mind. Oh. <laughs> I don't even know what it'd be like. Um, oh, no, wait, hold on. I did, I, I think it was a joke. Uh, I, I am pretty sure I did joke around with... Uh, the discovery where somebody falls into it and how it starts to let them out. Um, <laughs> but that it, it would have been purely a joke. Sure. So at this point in time, there is no serious uh, um, thoughts as to how that would return. Uh, but if it does happen, I guess I, I pretty much give it away. Somebody will accidentally <laughs> discover this. Yes. And then uh, <laughs> and the door will be open for them to start pouring out. <laughs> uh, there, there was a yeah, we, we've batted around a lot of joking sort of ideas about Roxanne Bebop. Uh, one of the other one of the ideas that we had had when the Ninja Turtles were crossing over with Batman, uh, we thought, uh, uh, let's. Uh, what about having Roxanne Bebop cross over with Lobo? And, oh man, uh, yeah. Uh, we we just really, a little more than a joke. I uh, <laughs> we, we we did try to start to get this rolling. We we sort of like toss the idea out there but we we didn't or you know we didn't have uh, didn't in our, too much of an effort yeah well it just didn't 
fit in with everything else that we had going on. So we've never pursued it seriously. But, you know, it's still maybe one of the number one ideas that we would still like to do if, if, if we ever get that, uh, if it ever works out in that way. But um, it but, was Lobo. That's, that was the joke. It was Lobo who comes across the Bob Steady verse. Well, this is where I was, I was going is, is just yeah. that, that uh, like using the Bob Steady verse in, in regards to Lobo, uh, it'd just be a, a, there's so many, uh, Lobo is kind of a, a, the old Lobo with Keith Giffen writing back in like the early nineties. Uh, I really liked those comics and there's something of that kind of influence into rock city and bebop. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, rock city and bebop are very different kinds of guys than Lobo in that Lobo is a, a pretty, seems pretty unhappy and put out at least in those old comics about anything that he, he just doesn't like anything, but rock city and bebop actually are kind of good natured and are interested in having a good time and are, you know, quick to laugh at things. Uh, but, but other than that, there's certain things about the, the violence, uh, the way that that's approached in these, in these comics that, that owes something to Lobo. Uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah. It, who knows? The buff steady verse could return sometime. Uh, it'll be terrible. It'll just be terrible. Though. Oh, it would be terrible. <laughs> Election for you guys. Do you guys have a uh, favorite turtle? Uh, Dustin, you first. Uh, Leonardo. Um, oh, why is that? Uh, I, I hey, guess... that wasn't the answer previously. When I was this a is kid... a new answer. What? Yes. Well, uh, when I was a ahead. kid, I liked, I liked, you know, when I was a kid and it was the cartoon and uh, whatever, I liked Michelangelo because he was a party dude and, you know, he was fun. But I think it just as I've gotten older, uh, I, not even that much older. I don't know. Uh, Leonardo is, uh, is, is, is the guy that I find interesting. Uh, partly just two swords look really cool. It <laughs> looks, uh, and that's a really cool thing to draw. Um, but, but also, you know, I, I think it's interesting. The characters that sort of take on a leadership role, they, they kind of get, uh, I think shortchanged a little bit in like their development, but, uh, uh, but I think that's an interesting character trait that would be cool to uh, explore. So, what were you thinking, Ben? When I when what did you think? Was well, initially, it, it was uh, you know, uh, especially when we first started you know working on these these uh, Bebop and Rocksteady comics, it was Michelangelo was the answer at the time. Um, and you know, that's also a big reason why uh, in Destroy Everything, uh, we we had already discussed. Um, the different relationships of how we wanted to approach the Ninja Turtles. I mean, I think if you read destroy everything and the way that we've, we've written the turtles is, is actually um, a little out of character for the IDW verse of the, of them uh, because we wanted to just lean into what we wanted to do. Uh, but one of the things very early on uh, was embracing the, the connection sort of the unique connection that Donatello and Michelangelo have in the 1990 movie. Oh yeah. How they like <laughs> joke around together. And so that's the thing that got yeah. put in uh, the beginning of, of uh, 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 destroy everything right away. Um, and we'd already discussed, you know, multiple, I mean, we'd already discussed multiple storylines of how we were going to focus on Donatello and Michelangelo. And that was just the way we squeezed it in. Um, so initially it was, Michael. it's interesting that it has changed to become a more of a focus on Leonardo. Uh, Leonardo has always been my favorite as a kid. 
And uh, I wouldn't have been able to articulate why um, back then, but I, I think that it does have a lot to do with leadership. I'm the eldest of my siblings, and I think that I took a little bit of uh, um, some connection with Leonardo and his responsibility. Uh, and, and thinking that that was pretty cool, like, and, the, and again, and this is, this is partly why I, I was pointing out earlier about that trailer when Leonardo himself get, gets involved in that elevator when he's also like dancing and moving his head or even more importantly in the original 1990 movie uh, when after the intro when they save uh, April and uh, Raphael's pissed because he lost, lost his side Michelangelo puts on that music mm -hmm. and you cut to Leonardo who is the leader the serious one right but he's sitting there dancing and he's, he's like, hey, Raph, where are you going? You know, it, it's important to know that Leonardo is just as much of a fun-loving dude as the other ones. He's not the super serious, stoic uh, character. I mean, he can be, right? He has those elements. But it's important that he's not just the, the Cyclops of the group. <laughs> yeah, he's that's still, he's still a teenager. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah uh, you know... Uh, that 1990 movie uh, is it was the major sort of uh, like I, I don't know like influence for for both of us because we both uh, we both really like that movie a lot uh, and for us we're like well that's to us that's our favorite Ninja Turtle version so we're we're definitely inspired by that a lot. Same right. here. Like I, I love. I mean I love everything Turtles, but I think that there is. Nothing better than that first film. And I part of it is, and I'm a Donatello, <clears throat> always have been, but Donatello's relationship, Donatello's like character in that movie and his relationship with Mikey is some of the stuff that I love and wish that they'd had in other places because it's unique to that movie. And I just, I don't know, it's Donnie being fun, being smart through humor, not Donnie being smart through building a spaceship out of old trash. Like, it, uh, I despise, yeah, the more, the more that Ninja Turtles has gone on, um, and they've leaned so hard into trying to define their individual personalities, uh, I think is the detriment of the Ninja Turtles. That trash stuff being a perfect example. Yeah, like, like, in so many ways. And they suggest that too in the movie, but it's like, yeah, it, it leaves our world. And we never saw turtles like that quite again in that first movie. Nope. Uh, it's uh, for some reason, for some reason, that was the, that was the magic formula, never to be recaptured again. Yep. <laughs> And it holds up. I, I, oh, yeah, yeah. I watched it not long ago. I, I really enjoyed it. I watched it with my uh, wife and daughter, and we all had a great time. Oh, really? That's cool that they had that they liked it too. Yeah, it totally worked for them. And the character balance is there. Like Leo and Raph kind of like carry the story and the drama, and Mikey and Donnie are kind of like a funny commentary on their own film, like <laughs> mildly breaking the fourth wall. And it's just it's some really like again, this is the magic formula that never be. I think never before wasn't quite so right because I think uh, it's funnier than Mirage was and more serious than the cartoon was. And honestly, never again, I feel like we got that perfect magical group of four. It was the infusion of the two, undoubtedly. Yeah. Right? You get the seriousness of the Mirage and then you get the goofiness and the color from the cartoon series. Yeah. And then you just fuse them together perfectly. I mean, that's part of me. I mean, I love, I love, even as a kid, I super love, uh, those Mirage comics, you know, me but I liked yeah. the, I liked the, the Playmates toys and stuff too. And so for me, um, 
Mirage is not the perfect version of Ninja Turtles because it's too, too, I don't want to use the word serious, but um, the the fun of Ninja Turtles is not quite there. Yeah. They're not the part not that they would become. So like there's something, exactly. great, but there's something that's not there yet that they find later. Exactly. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, honestly, that 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 covers it. Thanks so much uh, for talking to me. And uh, and and God, I, again, I can't praise Bebop from Rock City. Destroy everything enough. Uh, and I'm looking forward to the uh, the Rasmataz miniseries. So, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that that's a great idea. Just Rasmataz on his own. Solely <laughs> one. <alive>, yeah. <laughs> thanks, thanks so Yeah, this has been super fun. Yeah, totally. Thanks, guys. Take care. Yep. You too. This one goes out to someone special. I wonder who that could be. It's you. Who, me? Who else could it be? Uh, you're my bestest mutant freak. Friends forever. Forever and ever, bro.